Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 234. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by an amazing member of the Blueprint Live Online instructor crew for the MCAT. We are continuing our discussion with Dorothy today, breaking down Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1, the Psych Soch Section Passage 5. We're almost done. We've been spending months and months here on Full Length 1. We have some new great episodes planned as soon as we're done with this kind of full length breakdown. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere for now. We're going to have some amazing, amazing episodes for you here in the future, continuing this free MCAT prep at the end of the day is what it is. And speaking of free MCAT prep, if you go sign up for a free Blueprint MCAT account, you get full length one for free. That's the one we're covering here. You get a half length diagnostic for free. You get access to their amazing study planner tool and even some more goodies that are coming soon that I can't talk about just yet. So many amazing things. Go sign up for a free account at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump in to Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1, Psych Soch, Passage 5. Dorothy, welcome back to the MCAT Podcast. Last week, we crushed Passage 4 from the Psych Soch section of Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1, which everyone can get for free at blueprintmcat.com. This week, diving into Passage 5. When you have a, a, a passage like last week, where it seemed like it's a little too easy, what happens <laughs> with, with your kind of confidence and ego as you're going into the next passage? I mean, I would say that was probably a confidence booster. There are some little alarm bells it's like, was that too easy? Did I fall for a trap somewhere? But sometimes it happens. They'll give you harder passages. They'll also give you some easier ones as well. And so being okay with that, as long as you are confident about, you know, knowing those definitions, knowing how they apply in certain situations, you have no reason to second guess yourself. And so have some confidence in yourself. You've put in all the work by test day to get to that point. And so trust yourself, I think, and try not to second guess, because I think that's when things get a little slippery. Yeah. Usually it's the other extreme of you just get absolutely destroyed (laughs) by a passage. How should students kind of move forward from that? Because potentially that was the 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 test questions right the the right. experimental questions that the AAMC puts on the test and and maybe that just destroyed you because they're new questions that the the AAMC is trying or maybe mm-hmm. i don't know if it's new topics maybe that they're trying or just different ways of wording things how how can a student 
shake that off? Yeah, I think with knowing that there are potentially test questions on the actual exam, that gives you a little bit of potential um, emotional buffer in saying like, okay, maybe that was really hard because it's not actually going to be um, on the test. And so I think it could kind of work both ways. It could either add to your stress or even potentially take away from your stress. But I think um, at the end of the day, you want to leave that exam feeling like you put in your best guesses, or at least your most educated guesses on every single question. So as long as you did that, cleanse your palate, move on. Don't let your past performance or performance on past passages affect the way that you perform moving forward. Love it. All right. So as we continue today, jumping into um, full length one from Blueprint MCAT. Mm -hmm. Again, everyone can get the full length and access to this for free at blueprintmcat.com. We are continuing Sykesos Passage 5. Let's go and jump right in. All right. Passage 5. Companion animals have been part of the human experience for millennia. Many pet owners report having very strong social bonds with their animals and view them as members of the family. Research suggests that pet ownership can provide health benefits by reducing stress and improving exercise habits. Ownership is also thought to enhance mental well-being through mechanisms such as increased perceived social support, strong emotional attachment, and subjective experiences of happiness. While this pro-pet evidence is robust, little is known about the physiological or neural substrates that underlie these relationships. So some of the wording is a little bit more complex here, but right off the bat, I'm thinking about what is this paragraph about? What is the subject here? What am I reading? So I would probably highlight companion animals because that seems to be the overarching subject here. And we're essentially talking about how animals can impact human experiences in terms of well-being, social bonds, and things like that. So I would probably also highlight, yeah, the provide health benefits, um, the strong social bonds piece as well. And then I'm noticing some keywords that might be ringing some psych social alarm bells in the last couple sentences. So that part about enhancing mel- mental well-being through mechanisms such as increased perceived social support, strong emotional attachment, and subjective experiences of happiness, probably all things I would highlight because those are um, descriptive things of what can actually happen um, with these social bonds that form between animals and humans. Okay. All right. Next paragraph. An experiment was conducted to investigate the possible physiological mechanisms of human-pet relationships. Research theorized that interaction with pets should increase positive affect, which results in activation of brain areas associated with reward and pleasure, as well as affecting changes in plasma hormone concentrations. 20 pet owners were recruited to participate in a series of pet-related tasks. The first step was completing a questionnaire about their pets outlined in Table 1. Next, participants were shown images of their pets while undergoing fMRI scans. Recent recent research suggests that the left side of the brain is in charge of processing positive emotion, so the anatomical location and size of the areas that showed relevant activation patterns were recorded in Table 2. Finally, mean arterial blood pressure and blood samples were collected before and after participants spent 20 minutes with their pets in the observation room, and those are outlined in Table 3. So quite a long past paragraph talking about methods that were used in this particular experiment. So first off, I'm asking myself, what is this experiment testing? And so in that first sentence there, we see this experiment is investigating the possible physiological mechanisms of those human-pet relationships. So kind of highlighting that part. And then we can look at the different methods that were used. 
So they were looking at um, essentially uh, activation of brain areas associated with reward and pleasure. And then they were also looking at plasma hormone concentration. So I'd probably highlight those two key components as well. And then with methods, I usually will just read through them. Um, as long as I'm broadly familiar with what they are doing, then I can move on. Um, I feel like usually, um, unless it's something like PCR or something that's really foundational, usually they won't ask too many in-depth questions about the methods themselves and be more focused on results and interpreting figures, looking at background information, things like that. And so here I'm noting that they did a questionnaire. They also did some fMRI looking at brain anatomy. And then they also looked at MAP, so our blood pressure and those blood samples for presumably hormone processing. Okay. All right. So looking at table one, we see participant characteristics. And again, we get a table with kind of frequency of um, certain things and also just some stats here. So we have 55% um, of our participants are female. So I assume 45% are male. We've got an average age, average time with pet, and we kind of have a breakdown of um, pet ownership. So whether they're owning dogs or cats or guinea pigs, um, I'm noticing that off the bat, um, pretty much all of these participants noted a pretty strong connection with their pet and indicated that their pet was a source of social support. So there's 93.4% for the former and 95.7% for the latter. Yep. So again, this is kind of noting what information is in the table and then moving on. You can always come back for that information as needed. All right. Table two, fMRI brain activation patterns while viewing pet images. And so this is where we're talking about brain anatomy, what parts of the brain are activated. And I'm remembering from paragraph two that they said um, the left side of the brain is in charge of processing positive emotions. So it makes sense that a lot of these FM fMRI scans are done in the left hemisphere here. So you've got the amygdala, which is, of course, um, plays a role in processing emotional information. We've got the insula, which also does some um, emotional processing, um, or at least provides an emotional input for decision making. Mm. We've got the substantia nigra and ventral tegmental area. So substantia nigra is all about dopamine production and um, reward and movement, things like that. And then the anterior cingulate cortex, which is does a lot of cognitive functions, things like impulse control, emotion, decision-making, things like that. So noting that we're working primarily in the left hemisphere, we do also have the right hemisphere for the substantia nigra and VTA there. And then we have activation area. So I'm from this scale, I'm kind of assuming that a larger number here means higher activation levels. Mm -hmm. So 202 for the insula, 225 for the left anterior cingulate cortex. So kind of higher levels than you might expect um, Although the substantial nigra seems to be a little bit variable there with the left and right being pretty similar with 25 and 32, respectively. All right. And then we've got one more table. So this passage is really throwing all the tables at us. So table three shows measure changes following pet interaction. And we have a before and after. And I'm also noting some, noticing some asterisks here. And so if I follow, um, follow that passage down, I'm seeing an asterisk which says that P is less than 0.01. So that is my statistical significance. And when an asterisk is provided, that means it's a statistically significant difference. So looking at my before and after, we have significance in all of those metrics. So mean 
arterial blood pressure goes down, cortisol goes down, and everything else goes up. So endorphins, oxytocin, prolactin, and dopamine. Noticing those trends. (laughs) (laughs) I want a dog, but my wife is allergic. Darn it. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Do you have any other pets? No. I have two kids. They're kind of like pets. Okay. Social support, bonding. (laughs) Good for that. (laughs) All right. So relatively short paragraphs here in the passage and then some charts. And so hopefully a student is like, sweet, that that was quicker to go through than normal. Um, And then we we get to the questions, which I I always think are going to be much harder because the passage seems too easy to, to look at. So question 23 which of the following is not a core component of emotion? All right, so it has nothing to do with the passage. It's <laughs> just a, hey, nope. what's, what's emotion? Uh, a, physiological arousal. B, conditioned responses. C, expressive displays. Or D, subjective experiences. Whew. So physiological arousal seems like, hey, like that is definitely some emotion there. And and I think the mm-hmm. trick is going to be a core component of emotion. There's probably some strict definition. And I'm pretty sure there yeah. is because I think I've seen it before, uh, of <laughs> a, co- a core component of emotion. So it's going to get me again here. Um, physiological arousal, condition responses, expressive, right? We, we talk about expression, expressive displays. It's obviously mm-hmm. emotion, right? Uh, right. But is it a core component? I don't know. <laughs> um, and then subjective experiences, again, like how you respond to something emotionally is obviously going to be dependent on your subjective experiences. So, right. but then the question is, how is that different than conditioned responses versus subject, subjective experiences? So I'm going to go with B just because it seems like it stands out the most as not obvious. So, Yeah, you'd that, be right. That's what I'm going to go with. All right. Good. Yeah. Condition response is kind of the outlier here. So we often say like ABCs of emotion. So you've got mm. your physiological arousal, which is the A. You've got a behavioral component. Um, and then you've got a cognitive component as well. So kind of ABCs, body, mind, action kind of thing as well. So the A, C, and D all fall under the core components, whereas condition response is kind of you're, you're thinking about operant conditioning or classical conditioning where you are pairing a stimulus to an actual behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll take it. 24. (laughs) Doing well. All right. So question 24, the results of the study support, which of the following conclusions? We've got A, interaction with companion animals leads to increased activity in the sympathetic nervous system. B, interaction with companion animals increases the release of hormones associated with social bonding and love. C, interaction with companion animals increases the release of hormones associated with stress. And then D, interaction with companion animals may help to treat depression by increasing the release of hormones associated with positive affect. So this is B, a super simple, straightforward answer, I'm pretty sure. Um, So (laughs) increased activity in the sympathetic nervous system would lead to increased blood pressure, not decreased blood pressure. So that that one goes out the window. Answer choice C increases the release of hormones associated with stress. We know that cortisol is the stress hormone that goes down. So that's not right. Mm -hmm. D, we can't make that conclusion about depression. That's too broad of a statement that's just not covered here. Uh, We we could potentially go, oh, yeah, like if you dopamine and depression and whatever. But that's not what the study is is looking at. So it has to be B. It is B. Yep. I think... 
if I'm looking at the percentages, D seems to be the most tempting answer for most students. And I can see why the trend is there, but the evidence to support this particular um, that we could have a potential treatment is just a step too far. Yeah. So going back, and I I loved how you said it a couple episodes ago when we were just introducing you, those five reasons, five common reasons for an answer choice to be wrong. We talked about um, too too extreme, right? Too narrow or too broad. Um, Just minor details that are wrong. And then what was the the fifth one there? Uh, Just irrelevant. Irrelevant. Out of scope. Yeah. Yeah. And so would this be an out of scope one or is this one a too broad one? I think I would probably classify this as an out of scope one. It kind of takes something that was sort of in the passage and takes it a little bit too far. So it kind of extrapolates beyond the scope of the passage. Yeah. But we're noticing wrong answer patterns and um, yeah. so we can kind of classify it either way depending on um, why you're looking at that answer choice. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. again, I, I, what I hope that students are taking away from this as they're watching this or, or listening to this, like I haven't touched this material in, in 20 years, but I am getting to the right answer because I can read and, and because I'm using the critical thinking that I've learned over time doing the MCAT podcast that, that all of the blueprint instructors have taught me on how to look for these answers, right? It, it's yep. just, straightforward answer here and it's not to say look at me i'm awesome it's to say like you can do this without knowing anything just with some critical thinking if you read the passage well and thoroughly and you know use your highlighter to your advantage to really process the information that's there you can actually get really far especially since these are passage-based passage-based questions um you can get pretty far just with critical thinking and, and reasoning through all of the different answer choices i love it All right, question 25. Let's see if we can continue this trend. The information in table two, so I'll scroll to that real quick, provides support for which of the following concepts? All right, here's an out of scope. I I feel an out of scope question or answer coming. Uh, A, lateralization of negative emotion to the right hemisphere. B, important role of the hippocampus in emotion processing. See increased activation in the right hemisphere during emotional experiences or de-lateralization of positive emotion to the less left hemisphere. So this one's a weird question because we were already told uh, and we didn't highlight it, but it was, where is it here? Um, Are you looking at the part where it says um, processing positive emotions on the left side side of the Mm -hmm. brain? Yeah. Right. So recent research suggests that the left side of the brain is in charge of processing positive emotion. And so we have this answer choice here, which is taken directly out of the passage. But that's a trick because people will pick this one without going, well, did table two actually show that? (laughs) Right. Did table two actually support that? And I think it does, right? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, the question is amygdala, insula, and anterior cingulate cortex, right? We assume that viewing pet images is a positive emotion, and there's lots of things going on here on the left side. So right. it, it seems too easy of an answer, but I'm just going to go with it because I don't have a lot of time on the MCAT. 
Yeah, so it is, so it is D. So you get lateralization of that positive emotion. We're told from the passage that left-sided activation correlates more strongly to positive emotion. So kind of combining that information with what you see in the table where there's really high numbers on the left side um, leads you to D. Mm-hmm. All right. Seems too easy, but that's all right. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> okay. Next question. Which of the following statements about human pet interactions best reflects the Schachter Singer theory of emotions? <laughs> you kind of be brainstorming what that means if you know, if you're familiar with that theory. Looking at A, as Julia pets her cat, her blood pressure decreases and her brain releases oxytocin. She then thinks of how much she loves her cat and experiences happiness as a result. B, Timothy's dog runs out of the house without his collar or leash. Timothy's heart rate increases and he shouts for the dog to come home. His body's cues and behavior lead him to understand that he is in a scary situation and then he feels afraid. C, Annabelle is holding her guinea pig on the couch and scratching its ears. As she does this, as she does this, her brain releases hormones associated with, with reward. At the same time, she interprets the situation as happy and calm. She then smiles. And lastly, D, Luke is training for a marathon and runs with his dog, Max. He feels moderately happy and excited while he runs with Max and records his best time yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, all of these answer choices, if you ignore the theory of emotion here, this Schachter Singer theory of emotion, all these answer choices seem plausible. So this makes it really hard. And here's one of the situations with psychosoc is that you're going to have to know all of these definitions, right? Mm-hmm. This Schachter Singer theory of emotion, you're going to have to know this uh, so that you can apply it here. And so I don't know it. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, um, the I'm going to look for differences here. Um, Answer choice A and C are similar, but it's interesting. Answer choice A says she thinks of how much she loves her cat and experiences happiness as a result. And C says she interprets the situation as happy and calm and then smiles. There's something very different sounding about how those are both laid out. (laughs) Uh, Subtle, but different. Which is weird. And so... To me, C seems wrong just because it seems weird. Uh, so I'm not going to pick <laughs> okay. C just for that reason. D is is one that just is completely different than the other one. So I'm going to remove that one. And now the question is, shoot, the theory of emotion. Is it more positive or more negative? Because A and B are very similar. Um, but but one is positive, one is negative. And I'm just going with positive because, hey, I'm a positive guy. And, and I'm just going to go with A because of that. It is A. Your, <laughs> yeah, positive positivity would bring you far on this question. Um, so for the theories of emotion, I think the MCAT really cares about three major ones. So we've got Schachter Singer, which is the one tested in this question. We've got James Lang, and then we've got Canon Bard. And so they're all kind of different, but they all try to answer the question of how do we feel emotion? What So we talked about those three components of emotion. So we've got our arousal, we've got our behavioral and our cognitive components. And essentially, what order do they go in? How do they occur in order to produce an emotion as a result? And so Schachter Singer is all about cognitive interpretation and appraisal. So you have your physiological arousal that comes first. So in A, Julia pets her cat and you have the physiological response, 
where our blood pressure goes down and our brain releases oxytocin. So that's the physical physiological arousal part. Mm. Then you have some level of cognitive interpretation where you are kind of interpreting the context. Your brain is thinking about what's happening and going to then produce an emotional experience as a result. And so um, A and Schachter Singer is all about this cognitive interpretation. Um, if we look at B, so this is James Lang theory of emotion, where we have behavior and a physiological action leading to emotion. So these two things kind of happen independently and then lead to emotion as a result. So we have um, the stimulus happens, which is Timothy's dog runs out of the house. And then you get a physiological response where Timmy's heart rate increases. And he also has a behavioral component. So he shouts for the dog to come home. And then those things those two things together will then help Timothy interpret his emotions. Oh, this is scary before he actually starts to feel scared. Um, so it's behavior and physiological leads to an eventual emotion and cognitive understanding. Mm. And then C is actually canon barred, which is where physiological and cognitive things happen independently, but simultaneously. And that's the key here. So in C we have um, Annabelle holding her guinea pig and scratching its ear. So spending time with her pet is the stimulus. It leads to that physiological response of hormone release, but we're given at the same time, she also interprets the situation as happy and calm. So those two things happen together, the physiological and the cognitive interpretation. And then we see the behavioral expression where she actually smiles. So kind of nuanced, pretty, they sound very similar. And I think this is a problem area for a lot of students where how do I tell the differences between all these definitions? But if you can Set, separate the definitions for each one and kind of look at examples of each, then it can become a lot clearer to distinguish. Got to know those definitions. I got lucky there just uh, <laughs> trying to pick apart some things and it ended up with the right <laughs> answer. But that's definitely one as I'm reviewing that later on, I would come back to the conclusion of, wow, that was a lucky guess. <laughs> Which but, is why you want to review your right answers as exactly, well. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. All right, another passage in the books. We're going to cleanse our palate and come back for some more next week. Awesome. See you then. All right, so there you have it. Again, full-length one, which again, you get for free by signing up for a free account at blueprintmcat.com. Full-length one. Psychos Passage 5 with Dorothy, the amazing Dorothy. We've been covering Full Length 1 now for many, many months. If you haven't taken Full Length 1 yet, I recommend you do. And then go back and listen to all the episodes to hear how you did. I think because it takes a while to listen to these podcast episodes to go through the test, my recommendation for using Full Length 1 is to go and take it now, like as your diagnostic or something, just so you have time, lots of time to go over the test, listening to the episode to understand the test and how you did. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT podcast. This is MedEd Media.